Thank you, Ruth. This morning, if you'll turn your Bible back to John chapter 11, John chapter 11. In 1962, at the age of 82 years old, the retired general of the Army, Douglas MacArthur, spoke to the Corps of Cadets as he was accepting the coveted Thayer Award. One of the paragraphs in his speech that day has become part of history and if you are in the army, you're very, for well, very familiar with this paragraph. And this is what he said. The paragraph goes like this. Duty, honor, country. Those three hallow words reverently dictate what you ought to be, what you can be, what you will be. They are your rally point to build courage when courage seems to fail, to regain faith when there seems to be little cause for faith, to create hope when hope becomes forlorn. That was the end of his speech. Did you catch the last phrase? To create hope when hope becomes forlorn. We all have those moments in our life when Jesus become, when hope becomes forlorn. When all seems lost. When we do not know how to keep going. And General MacArthur challenged the soldiers to find hope in duty, honor, and country. For the Christians, we believe that we can go higher. We go to God. And in today's story... We find hope even in death because Jesus tells us, I am the resurrection. The title of my message this morning is, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. We've been start, we just started a series on the I am statements of Jesus to show that we can trust Jesus completely. This morning, downstairs, in the children's program, they'll have the same study that you're having up here. And so let me encourage you, if you have children or your grandchildren downstairs, to talk to them about these things. Now notice the theme as I read it with you. It goes like this. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. When we are, when we are out of hope, God knows the future. When God comes through, we get to know God better. And there's one last lesson. When God puts His Spirit in us, we get to live forever. Amen? We get to live forever. Beloved, I believe the answer for the coronavirus and all the fear and hysteria that we're facing today is that if you know Jesus Christ, you're going to live forever. And when you have that faith, and you have that hope. You know what? It's not like I want to leave this world at any second now. But I'm going to a better place. Jesus is my hope. In the story this morning, we find three friends of Jesus. Very special friends. And when they needed him the most, 
he was not there. And I believe they were struggling with the situation. Why would Jesus not come when they needed him the most? Now look with me in John chapter 1, I mean 11 in verse 1. This is not part of our, story, our text today, but I want you to understand what is happening. In John 11 verse 1, it says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. Lazarus was ill. The village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now look at verse 3. So the sisters, who, who, who did it? Who are we talking about here? The sisters, both of them. Notice this. You ought to highlight it. The sisters, both of them, Martha and Mary, sent to him, that's to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now, beloved, if you have your own Bible, you ought to highlight that. They're not telling him what to do. They're not, they're not forcing him to come back. They understood that they're not in control of Jesus, but they wanted Jesus to know that Lazarus was ill. They simply sent a message. This is the first text message in the Bible, right? They simply sent this simple message to tell him, Lord, he is ill. Now let's keep reading. Verse 4, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. If you have on Bible, you ought to highlight it. What is it for? It is for the glory of God. So that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now this morning I want to share with you the following lessons that we learn from three statements that Martha makes in this text. Now, we all know that Mary is the one that wiped the feet of Jesus when she anointed him. We all know Mary. Mary seems to upstage her sister Martha many times. But we also know Martha. You know, we know that when Jesus would come to their house, it was Martha that cleaned the house. It was Martha that went to the grocery store. It was Martha that did all the cooking. It was Martha that also complained a lot. Amen? She complained about, hey, tell Mary to come help me. But both of these women are wonderful, godly women that teach us all kinds of lessons. And today I want to focus on three lessons that Martha shares with us. Now look at your outline, point number one. Here's the first one. Point number one, I know... That whatever Jesus asked from God, God will give it to him. Look at this first point. These are the words of Martha. She says, I know that whatever Jesus asked from God, God will give him. Now look with me in verse 17. Let's go back to our text that we're actually looking at, verse 17, through all the way down to verse 37. In verse 17, the scripture says, Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, you need to remember that, four days. There could be a test. Look at verse 18. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, 
And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Now, here's another thing, beloved. When someone passes away, it is appropriate, it is the right response to go and comfort those that are grieving for the loss of a loved one. This is a natural response. This helps those with this, these feelings of grief and loss. It helps them when others come and love them and grieve with them. And so many had come. Notice it says that many Jews had come to console them concerning their brother. Beloved, I would like to say this to you. You should learn this talent. Because, you know, we're all going to die. Every one of us. And yet, we don't think about it. We don't plan for it. We should be experts in consoling those that have lost a loved one. Now, that's another sermon for another day. But I encourage you to highlight that and read about it. Let's continue in verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Verse 21, and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now that's an interesting statement. I want you to know that Mary says the same thing. Mary says the same thing to him, and we'll look at that in a moment, when Mary finally comes to him, and she says, Lord, if you were to come, my brother would not have died. They both know this, but here's this next statement. Look at verse 22. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. You see, this is something else she knew. She knew that if Jesus asked for something, God would give it. Beloved, do you know that? He's your heavenly father too. He loves you. He died on the cross for you. Do you know this? Jesus stands in heaven and makes intercession for you and I. Do you know this? Can you claim this? Well, was God late in working this miracle? God's never late. He works in the time which is proper. Remember we saw in the beginning of the chapter that Jesus said, you know what? This is about the glory of God. It's not about the death of Lazarus. It's about the glory of God. You see, God is never late. He's got a purpose. The civil rights activist Ralph Abernathy was the first to coin this, this popular statement. This is what he said. He said, I don't know what the future may hold, but I know who holds the future. You know that. Beloved, we know who holds the future. We know what the future will be like. When you're out of hope, give your future to God. Take your problem to God and say, Sovereign Lord, you alone can help me in this situation. Beloved, Martha had learned something from Jesus. In our text, she says, I know that God will give you whatever you want. She also knows that my, her brother will rise again. She knows that he'll rise again. We're going to read that in a few moments. When God comes through, we get to know him better. When you bring your despair, your depression, 
your dead-end situation, and God answers, he reveals something about himself. Now, hold your place here in John 11, and turn back to John chapter 9. As you're turning, I'll give you what's happening here in chapter 9. John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man born blind, and the religious leaders are having a fit because they can't explain why Jesus, how Jesus did it. They don't want to admit that Jesus could be the Son of God. Now look with me in verse 31. They say, We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. You ought to highlight that. They didn't know who Jesus was. They couldn't answer how this man received his sight. But they say, well, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. Beloved, they knew one thing and they were right about that. And God listens to Jesus. They can't decide on just what Jesus is. But they do know one thing. God does not listen to sinners. Turn with me back to John chapter 11 and look at verse 41. In John 11, our text today, in verse 41, it says, So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank you that you have, what's the next word? Heard me. Heard me. Look at verse 42. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Verse 44, and the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him, what does it say, beloved, go. In Preacher Boy School, they told us that that day when Jesus was standing before the tomb and he said in a loud voice, he said, Lazarus, come out. If he would have said, come out, everybody who had died would have come out because he's God. He has the power. And this is what Martha knows. She knows that whatever Jesus asks from God, God will give him. Now, the second thing I want you to see that she understands is point number two. She says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection. Here's the second thing she knows. She says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection. Now look with me in John 11 in verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Jesus knew what he was going to do. When they sent him the text message, hey, Lazarus is sick, what did he say? It's for the glory of God. You know what, you know what the glory of God was? When he said, come forth, and that man came out, now you're talking glory right there. You're talking glory. We're going to see that many got saved because of the glory of God. All right, so he said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again. Notice what she says. I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, verse 25, I am, what does it say? The resurrection. This is his statement. 
He said, I am the resurrection and the what? Life. Life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Beloved, do you know that the resurrection and life go hand in hand? You can't have one without the other. Why would you have a resurrection with a dead body? Doesn't work. You have a resurrection, and when you're resurrected, you have what? Life. They go hand in hand. They're made for one another. Beloved, do not be ignorant. God tells us that the day of resurrection is coming. There's a day called the day of resurrection. It is coming. It also tells us that Jesus is the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in him will experience this day of resurrection. Now, hold your place here in John 11 and turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, we're going to look in verse 13. Jesus is talking to his people about how they're to live here in this earth. And look at verse 13. He says, now, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the cripple, the lame, the blind. Now, Dr. Blankenship preached on this a couple of weeks ago. Remember when my mom passed away? All right. He preached about this banquet that the Lord has. Look at verse 14. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Notice what it says next. For you will be repaid at the, what's it say? The resurrection of the just. You see, there's going to be a resurrection day. You ought to highlight it. Jesus said, you will be repaid at the resurrection day. Now turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul talks about the resurrection our bodily resurrection. Look with me in verse 35. In 1 Corinthians 15, 35, it says, But some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? That's a great question. Don't you want to know? Hey, what's it going to be like? Well, we know that you're going to be able to recognize everybody. When Jesus had his resurrection body, he looked just like himself. So we'll be able to know you. You'll recognize yourself. I tell everybody, I believe we'll be in our prime, our young self. Jesus was 33. I believe everyone will be young and strong. No sickness. All right? And so I, it's exciting. I felt good at 33. All right? I wish I felt like I was 33 right now, amen? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. If they sold that in a bottle, I'd buy it, all right? But notice it says here, what is it like? What kind of body do they come? Drop down to verse 42. So is it with the resurrection of dead. What is sown is perishable. That word perishable means it doesn't last. It's like, uh, it's like lettuce at your house. Does lettuce last long at your house? No, if you don't eat it, it gets mushy and it just dissolves. It's horrible, all right? It's, it's perishable. What is sown is perishable. He said our body is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It's like having a head of lettuce that never rots. A body that never rots. Verse 43, it is sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. He's talking to our bodies. The, the, the physical body we have now is dishonored. It makes all kinds of noise. It smells bad at times. But it's going to be raised in glory. He continues, it's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. If you have your own highlighter, you ought to highlight this. 
You ought to high, highlight the words perishable, imperishable, dishonor, glory, weakness. It's raised in power. Look at verse 44. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. You see, we're going to have a spiritual body. Jesus could walk through doors. Beloved, we're going to be able to walk through doors. I'm looking forward to that. Don't have to, oh, Jesus says, I'm, a, I'm just going to walk right through that thing. Jesus could be in one place and in a short amount of time be hundreds of miles away with other believers. Now, how about that? We're going to be able to do these things, all right? Because this is that spiritual body. Now, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul continues this lesson about the resurrection. And look with me in verse 16. He says here in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Now, who he's talking about? He's talking about Jesus, right? That's his Lord. That's who he knows. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. Now, this is what's coming. Beloved, let me catch your attention for a minute. Jesus is going to come out of heaven. There's going to be a cry of command. I don't know what that command is. I haven't heard it. But when you hear it, you'll know what it is because you have the Spirit of God in you. There's going to be a cry of command. And then there's going to be a voice of an archangel. Never heard one before, have you? No. But when you hear it, you're going to say, oh, that's a voice of an archangel. Now I know what one sounds like. There's going to be this command. There's going to be this voice of the archangel. And then it says there's going to be a trumpet of God. I've never heard the trumpet of God. I've heard the trumpets on the TV, you know, when they do Ben-Hur and they play the trumpets and Charlton Heston's riding in the chariots, you know. But I've never heard the trumpet of God. But one day you'll hear the trumpet and you'll say, I know what the trumpet of God sounds like. Now let's continue our reading. It says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Who rise first is beloved? The dead. The dead will rise first. Wherever they are. Throughout the world. Verse 17. Then we who are left alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You see, these are encouraging words. The people who have no faith in Jesus Christ, they're concerned. Because if they die, they don't know what's going to happen to them. If they died, their life ends. They don't know what's happening. You and I know. We're working for a resurrection day. We're going to have a spiritual body that never gets sick, never wears out, yet can enjoy food. Jesus ate. Can you imagine that? Eating and never gaining weight. Amen? That's that, I mean, that, hey, never have to go on a diet. Some people go on a diet and they gain weight, all right? You don't have to worry about that problem anymore because you're going to have a spiritual body. This is exciting. Now turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. In Revelation chapter 20, in verse 11, we see the great throne judgment. While you're turning there, let me talk to you. The Apostle Paul tells us, that if we die today, we, it says when we're absent from the body, we're present with who? The Lord. What goes to the Lord? It's your soul. It's your spirit. 
And you know what? That soul and spirit looks just like you. It's been living in this thing. You know, you can cut somebody's arm off and they have, they're still the same person. Because their arm is not them. There's something inside this person that's them, okay? So the soul and the spirit goes to be with the Lord. If you read in the, in the Old Testament, remember uh, Saul wanted to talk to Samuel. Samuel had died, so he went to see a witch. And they had a, uh, one of those uh, uh, seances, you know. And, and so he brought Samuel up. And you know what? Samuel didn't have a body. But he recognized him because his soul looked just like him. But there's going to be a day when our soul and spirit are put into this spiritual body that Paul talked about. And here it is in Revelation chapter 20. Look at verse 11. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. Look at verse 12. And I saw... The dead, great and small. If you have your own Bible, you ought to highlight it. What kind of dead do we have? Great and small. Who is a great? Greater people who think they're great. Right? These are our politicians, our presidents, our, our, our people out in Hollywood. They think they're great. Okay? Great and small. Notice they're small people. Praise God for small things. I know I'm small. Y'all know how small I am. Alright? But dead and small, we're all going to stand in front of the Lord. Okay? Notice what it says. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing above the throne, and books were open. Beloved, books are going to be open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Notice that, verse 13. The sea did what? What did the sea do? Gave up its dead. I know some of y'all are terrified that a shark would eat you. Then, what, oh, you know, what can God do now? You know, hey, you can't, you, God is God. You can't stump him. If the shark eats you, he can still make you again. All right? You don't cease to exist. I have Christians all the time. You know, they're so afraid. You know, well, what if I go flying and the plane crashes and there's nothing left? And then, you know, I don't have a body for all eternity. Look. God is God. He'll pull all your molecules back together. He's going to make a spiritual body. You need to quit worrying about those things. Okay? And notice what it says. The sea gave up their dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up their dead. Those are all the cemeteries. Gave up their dead. They were in them. And notice it says, and they were judged. Each one. Notice that. You ought to highlight it. Everyone's judged. Nobody's getting out of it. Each one of them, according to what they'd done. Look at verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown, where, beloved? Into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. Beloved, there is going to be a resurrection day. We are all going to be judged. If your name is written in the book of life, you go to heaven. But the judgment also says what we are done, what we do on earth is judged. Those are the rewards we will have or not have when we get to heaven. You need to read about that. In Revelation 21, you can read that the people on the earth go into heaven and they can eat from the tree of life and that the leaves on the tree of life are for healing. It's amazing. 
And you will have a physical, uh, physical and spiritual body. You get to walk into heaven and eat of the tree of life that we read about in Genesis that started the whole problem, amen? And it wasn't the tree, it was Satan and the disobedience of Adam and Eve. But we get to eat of the tree of life, we get to use the leaves to be healed, and in chapter 21 it says all tears are wiped away. Now I don't know about you, but that should be exciting. Do you know, I, I did Wednesday night prayer meeting this week, and I shared a passage in Psalms. David says, I turn on my bed at night. Have you ever tossed and turned? And you ever weeped at night? I have. I've weeped at night. And it says, David says, and God collects my tears and puts them in his bottle and records them in his book. It's a wonderful psalm. And I shared that with them on Wednesday. Beloved, let me tell you, there'll be no more weeping. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more restless nights where you can't sleep. You'll have this resurrected body. Now, the third lesson, point number three. This is what Martha said. She said, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. This is the third thing she said. Now look back in John chapter 11 in verse 26. In John 11 verse 26, And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Look at verse 27. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Beloved, do you believe that? Do you believe that? You should. You should believe this. When we are out of hope, God knows the future. When God comes through, we get to know Him better. And there's one last lesson. When, we, when God puts His Spirit in us, we live forever. We live forever. C.S. Lewis, he wrote these words. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Beloved, I believe I've been struggling with this coronavirus. I believe it's a megaphone for God shouting to a deaf world, you need to be saved. It's not all about this earth. Are you ready for eternity? Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. In 1 John chapter 5, look at verse 1, excuse me. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Listen to what John writes. Everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ has been born of God. She said to him in our text, she, Jesus said, do you believe? She said, I believe. John says, everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ has been born of God. Notice what he says next. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born by him. Have you, you ought to highlight that. Let me read it one more time. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Beloved, do you know that it amazes me that Christians cannot love one another? That they cannot get along with one another with a brother or sister? What does John tell us? John says, if you are born again, then you should have a love for other people who are born again. Notice verse 2. 
By this we know that we love the children of God. You ought to highlight it. Who do we love? The children of God. And yet how many of us can't get along with some Christian in church? Or somebody we don't like? It amazes me that we cannot get along. It's just like loving your family. You know there's no perfect families. Did you know that? There's no perfect families. They're full of imperfect people. And they do crazy things. I do crazy things. My son-in-law has to love me. Y'all should pray for him. Amen. All right. We're all crazy. But yet in a family, what do we do? We, we love one. So even when they hurt us, we love them. Even when they do crazy things. Because they're family. Beloved, we're the family of God. And we should love one another. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. Flip back one chapter and look at verse 7. John's not finished with this topic. In verse 7 of chapter 4 of 1 John, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is for God, from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Look at verse 8. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is what? Love. So if you can't love your brother or your sister, then you don't know about love. So some of us today need to say, God, you need to help me learn this lesson. Help me to love these difficult people. You know, you might be a difficult people to somebody else. All right? We are to love one another. Look with me in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Look at verse 10. In this, in this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that He loved us. He sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You ought to highlight that. What are we supposed to do? We ought... He says ought because he knows we don't, all right? We also ought to love one another. If you can't love your brother or sister, then the problem is not with them, it's with you. Now, you need to understand that, okay? You're telling me that his problem is with them, but the problem is with you. One day a man was walking through a beautiful church building with his four-year-old son. And as he walked, the young boy looked around and he stopped. He was very curious about the stained glass windows that looked so beautiful with bright colors. And as he looked at the windows, he asked, Who are the people in the windows, Daddy? The father said, They're saints. The little boy said, Well, what are saints, Daddy? And the father was struck. How is he going to explain who a saint was to a four-year-old boy? And as the boy stepped, kept looking at the window, the father was still wondering how he was going to explain to his son what a saint was. And finally, the little boy just says, I know, Daddy, what a saint is. They're people that, the, let, that let the light shine through them. He was looking at the stained glass window. What was happening? The light was shining through these people. He said, Dad, I know what a saint is. They let the light shine through them. If you're not loving your brother and sister, there ain't no light shining through you. Let me just make it plain to you today, okay? Have you ever stopped to 
wonder what could possibly bring tears to the eyes of our Savior. Turn back to John chapter 11 in our text. And I want you to see these beautiful words of how much he loved us. He loved Lazarus. He loved Martha and Mary. And look with me in verse 33. It says, When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to the Lord, Come and see. And look at verse 35. Jesus, what? Wept. Jesus wept. We ought to love one another with the love of Jesus Christ. This week as I was studying, I came across a story, a wonderful story that happened August 1st, 1983. This is a true story. Renee Smith put her two daughters in the car for a shopping trip. It was a hot summer day in Georgia. I'm a Georgia boy. Lynn and I grew up there. We know what that's like. August 1983, and they went down to Kmart, all three girls. It was 105 degrees. It was 1.35 p.m. in the afternoon. And witnesses were left to reconstruct the event. There was a sudden pop, and a bolt of lightning struck the Smith car right when all the girls had just gotten out of the car in the church parking lot. One flash of lightning went off on the right and it hit Jessica, the daughter, in her left eye. The other went off the left and hit Renee Smith in her left temple. Her baby girl, she was carrying in a car carrier, was unharmed. A man parked in a pickup truck saw the whole thing and began to do CPR on Jessica, the little daughter. The little girl had no heartbeat. Her shoes had been knocked off by the lightning and were on the other side of the Kmart parking lot. Can you imagine that? After about 10 minutes, Jessica revived. Where's mommy? She asked the worried man bending over her. And he replied, Honey, your mother's going to be fine. But he and the crowd... They had now surrounded this little family in the parking lot at Kmart, knew that Renee had been electrocuted and was almost certainly dead. The ambulance arrived, and all three Smith girls were taken to the hospital. And during the ride, the personnel on the ambulance worked frantically to revive Renee. Seventeen minutes after Renee had been struck, the workers were able to restart her heart in an erratic beat while the machine was breathing for her. R Renee had an inch-wide burn mark from the top of her head down her entire spine, melting her hair to her head. She had bruises on her left temple where the, the lightning bolt had hit her, and her whole right hand was bruised where the lightning bolt exited her body. The entire family was sent to the University Hospital in Augusta, Georgia. But not much hope was given for Renee. Even if she did live, they thought that she would have irreversible brain damage. Fred, her husband, they had just recently moved to uh, the area there around Augusta. 
He was working. It was raining that day. He went home to change when his boss finally told him. And when he got home, his pastor was standing at the house. And that was good because Fred didn't know how to get to the hospital in Augusta. And as the pastor and Fred drove to the hospital, all the anxiety and the fear just dissipated. And he said that a peace came upon him, and he thought of 1 Timothy chapter 1, for God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a power and love and self-control. He looked over at his pastor and he said, I believe that God heals, and I believe that God is going to heal my entire family. And as they entered the emergency room, a nurse came up to the pastor and she whispered in his ear, I think you need to prepare Mr. Smith because when his wife arrives, we don't expect her to be dead because remember they transferred her to the hospital there in Augusta. They had not arrived yet. She's going to be dead on arrival. But Fred had made a decision to walk by faith. And as they left the emergency room to stand out front to wait for the ambulance, all of a sudden, all the news people began to show up because they heard about this event. And so one of the reporters from the Augusta Chronicle came up to him, and Fred said, you write it. God is going to heal my entire family. Put it on the front page. She hadn't even got to the hospital yet. And that's exactly what they did. They put it on the front page. A few days later, the little girls were sent home. And Renee remained in a coma for three days. During those three days, all the Christians prayed for her and the family. And on the third day, she came out of her coma. And aside from her feet being numb, if you could imagine being hit by a bolt of light, and I can understand that, amen, and being sick for some of the medication they'd given her, there were no, listen to this, no side effects. None. None. She was dubbed the Augusta Lightning Lady by the Chronicle. They were amazed, Renee and Fred, how God took this horrible situation and turned it around. He had just started work. He had no insurance. And yet because of the paper and all the articles, people were sending in money and every bill was paid. Every bill was paid. She began to go and speak at different groups and churches about the power of God and how God saved her and her girls and how her husband's faith had built the family. And Fred said afterwards, this is what he said, you never know what each day will bring, but all things are possible if you believe. Isn't that what Martha said? That's what she said to Jesus. I believe that you are the Son of God that has been sent into the world. Do you believe it? Do you know him that well? Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach to your people. What a joy it is each week to open the Word of God. Lord, I pray that today that you would speak to the hearts of your people. If there's someone here that does not know Jesus, I pray that right now, they would just say a little prayer in their heart and say, Lord, please make me your child. Forgive me today. Christian, do you know him like Martha does? We are all just like her. We're struggling with life. 
And yet, we've got the greatest energy, the greatest supporter, Jesus Christ, in our corner. Lord, hear the prayers of your people. Bless us today in Jesus' name. Amen.